America, my name is Aimeose Frimpong, and I come to you every Friday at around four-ish to talk to you about what we should do to make our communities whole. And today we're going to talk about John Lewis, the useful Negro. I know people are saying he's just in the ground. You can't, you can't, you can't talk about him the way you're about to talk about him. But the problem is, even in death, he is useful for people who do not have our freedom in mind. And I'm going to put one William Jefferson Clinton. You may have heard about him. He was in all the papers a few years ago. And uh, what he has to say about John Lewis and what he said. Here you go. And I say there were two or three years there where the movement went a little bit too far towards Stokely, but in the end, John Lewis prevailed. And I so that was Bill Clinton telling you that John Lewis's great contribution to the struggle is keeping people like who would follow Stokely Carmichael or Kwame Ture in line. And if you think Stokely, Carmichael, uh, Stokely Carmichael or Kwame Ture, Ture is some sort of radical, he's not actually. He's, he's really just a reasonable guy who cared about what he knew what the enemy was and knew what the fight was. I'm going to give you a few uh, Ture quotes. He coined the term black power. But when he was talking about black power, he was just talking about black power, people, the way people talk about worker power. He wasn't talking about black supremacy. He was talking about black power because currently we are unempowered. And what do we do? What do we uh, need to do in order to like get and attain our proper power in America? Right. So what did he say about I mean, he, may, he said I think he said quite a few things. Right. But about black people, we shouldn't be accountable to either of the parties, which is true. We shouldn't be accountable to Democrats or Republicans unless we organize to actually make them either elect our own people or make them accountable to our interests until we are they're accountable to our interests. We should like abstain from supporting either of these parties as parties that's true black people that's not the kind of truth that democrats like bill clinton want to hear but it's true right so you can say well bill clinton isn't the uh isn't the authority on on john lewis or uh, kwame ture but bill clinton is the authority on what he needed John Lewis to do in order to brunt, uh, to blunt the truth of Kwame Ture, right? So you can say that you shouldn't let Bill Clinton control John Lewis's legacy, but you have to understand that John Lewis's legacy is John Lewis's legacy because of the influence of Bill Clinton. He was a useful Negro for Bill Clinton's projects. Right. So John Lewis did good work in the 60s insofar as he was pushing for the Voting Rights Act and was beaten by cops and, you know, uh, leadership of SNCC. That's no small thing. However, the people before him, Julian Bond, Julian Bond was a socialist. I mean, he was Julian Bond was in DSA and the, and the chairperson after him was uh, Carmichael, who was Stokely Carmichael. Like, you know, the great Pan-Africanist and also the serious person about what black community uplift looks like in a political sphere. Right. But the liberals picked the Democrats picked John Lewis for a reason, because John Lewis was willing to take ownership of the entire civil rights movement 
and then sell it to them because you can't sell what you don't own. So you have to be very suspicious of people who take ownership over entire movements because the movement doesn't belong to any one person. But he took ownership of the entire movement and then sold it to the likes of Bill Clinton. Remember, John Lewis was the one in 92 who praised Bill Clinton for breaking away from like the Jesse Jackson type element of the party. Right. So there are a few big problems. One big problem is that black people in Selma itself are not doing very well. Right. So it'd be one thing if if black people in Selma itself were doing well. But here's the deal about Selma. If you don't know, it's a horrible place to live. It's a horrible place to live. And I, you know, I mean, you can't say that about a whole, it's someone's home. No, the people who live in Selma will tell you that it's a horrible place to live. There's a great uh, piece by Chris uh, Anade on Selma, the city of slaves. And it pretty much just goes, a great thing happened when, um, when black people got the vote, right? So they voted in a black mayor in Selma. And do you know what the white factory owners did? moved their factory so they had a furniture company and they had a candy company and both of those moved when you got a black mayor because they didn't want to deal with black people in power right so that's what happens when you have political power but no economic actual stability or independence you have a jobless city so right now selma's a dump right so the uh median income i want to say is twenty five thousand dollars that means people are poor and the interesting statistic I read was there were a hundred women for every seventy-two men above uh, above eighteen, which means that like it's a place that just kills black men early, right? And it's uh it's seventy uh, percent black. So I wouldn't be surprised if all of the worst aspects of Selma life are just concentrated in black communities, and it's just a horrible place to be especially if you're black and probably your lifespan will be short because you're black in Selma and it and it and that's not just Selma I suspect it's Mobile it's uh it's, it's a lot of cities Birmingham so um what you have to understand is John Lewis when he talks about Selma and when anybody talks about Selma and they don't tell you this Selma about the abject failure not abject it was a qualified failure I wouldn't call it a qualified success. I'd call it a qualified failure of the civil rights movement. This is what we're talking about. And make no mistake, if you're an elected official and you, you have two jobs, the first job is to actually push policies. But if you can't push policies, it's to clarify the fight. John Lewis, as a Southern Democrat, was, not a lot, was, not, was neither pushing policies and was confusing the fight. That's a horrible thing to do. And I think he confused the fight because he, he exchanged the civil rights um, movement. He took ownership of it. It's my movement. Remember, he was the one who said, well, Bernie Sanders wasn't in the movement. I was in the movement. Meanwhile, Bernie Sanders was in Chicago because it turns out there are black people in Chicago, too, trying to get them uh, desegregated housing. Right? So John, uh, John Lewis took ownership of the movement and then sold it because you can't sell what you don't own. So he had to take ownership of it and then sold it to willing democratic buyers and that's how he beat julian bond and that's and and that's been his legacy because he wouldn't ever admit that what like he focused the movement around his relevance in it his relevance in it was being brutalized by the police and voting so the movement became police brutality and voting 
But let's be honest, black people, you can vote and not be beaten by the police. But if you don't have a job in this market-based society, you're screwed. You're not even free. You're just some man's tool. And that's the problem. Right. So he never actually fought for economic independence because that was just never his fight. And he only fought for the things that would make him eminently relevant, which are voting rights and police brutality, which are fine for what they are. But like, you, look, you can have health care. You cannot be beaten by the police and you could vote and still be horribly degraded because like you're living in, you know, you're drinking leaded water and you don't have a job like that's that's. That's the fight. So he didn't pivot. MLK pivoted, right? Stokely Carmichael pivoted. Um, Julian Baum pivoted. He didn't pivot to, to economic freedom in a serious way. He was never talking about a federal job guarantee. And you need a federal job guarantee. You need reparations and a federal job guarantee. You need a federal job guarantee to guarantee uh, black people, like in a market society, um, uh, stability economic stability because you can't be politically free or free in any way if you're not also economically stable here's how that works i'll just give you the whole argument all right so i'll give you the whole argument after the opening let me get the opening to the beach Never change the ways for the world or the government If it was the president, then I would state facts You leave it up to me, I paint the White House black And it can feature in your front So here's the whole argument So we think of a market-based society as a great thing And it is a great thing when one person has something that they can sell To another person who's also an individual And it's just individuals doing trade, that's fine But the logic of competition is such that In order to get a competitive advantage, you have to grow and when you grow, you make your competitors irrelevant. So you need employees to grow. And then when you grow, you make your competitors irrelevant. And now your, comp your irrelevant competitors have to work for you. Right? So you have one owner who now has the pick of all of these irrelevant individuals. And um, unless those irrelevant individuals are secured a job, like they can't participate in a market society unless they're tools of that one owner. And that's pretty much Selma right now. Selma's a town full of irre irrelevant Negroes. And that's a problem. They've been made irrelevant by our policies. They've been made irrelevant by policies that have kind of trumped up the relevance of white capital at the expense of black lives ever since slavery. But it's, it's always been the change. It's always been the uh the the story so until black people are guaranteed economic independence you know this sham of political relevance is just just that a sham right so the people in selma got the vote they voted a they voted in a black mayor there was a black mayor in selma yay and the white factory owners were like we don't want to deal with the black mayor so they left and so now the people in selma have no jobs and a black mayor I don't know if the current mayor is black, but, you know, they're a voting majority in Selma, so I wouldn't be surprised if it were. But it doesn't matter. You're a black mayor in a town with, like, no capital, and all the jobs fled because Alabama's full of racists, and the racist owners who own the capital don't want to move, don't want to have to take orders from a black mayor. And remember, this is, there's a long tradition of this. Woodrow Wilson de demoted every black person who worked in the federal government so that they wouldn't be over white people. The mass demotion. 
So there's a, a long tradition of black people getting demoted or black people having to just go without because to actually empower them would to put them over white people from time to time. Right? So Selma's a dump right now because political um, political power without economic power just changed the shape of their degradation. Right? Because before they were degraded but had factory jobs. Now they are degraded but without jobs. Right? So let's let's take a look at black life because I think this we we haven't we not only have we not overcome we might be confused because this graph is 1968 right so not only have we not overcome I'll make it big so anyone watching on the phone can 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 see how much we have not overcome all right, so this is 1968, 41% housing, home ownership in, 19, in 2018, 41% home ownership. Incarceration almost tripled per 100,000, and black unemployment, I think that's a generous seven, this is nationwide, not Selma, not just Selma, and I think that's a generous 7.5. Um, that doesn't include people in, in prison working and people who've just fallen out of the labor market. And we know with COVID, it's all just probably worse. The real unemployment uh, is horrendous for black people. But Kwame Ture wasn't confusing people about the fight. Kwame Ture's got this great quote about middle class existence, about like, well, you really shouldn't aspire to be in the middle class if you're, and, and if you're anyone, because middle class existence is tied to white supremacy. So when, when Trump yesterday actually tweeted out that he's going to protect the suburbs from um lower development housing what is i mean that's the suburbs were built like explicitly as as institutions and engines of white wealth through white supremacy or through segregation because black people couldn't move into those suburbs um so what he's saying is he was going to protect white wealth at the expense of any justice claims of poor black Americans. That's what Trump was saying, right? So the idea that middle-class existence is somehow race-neutral, Ture nude, Ture knew, and he was talking about it. It was like, we shouldn't aspire to assimilate in the middle class that has these, that, that is fundamentally backstopped by racist sensibility, right? So um, I'm gonna get his exact quote, give me a second. Thus, we reject the goal of assimilation into middle-class America because the values of that class are in themselves anti-humanist and because that class is a social force, as a social force, perpetuate racism. Because you have to understand the middle class is just as um, serious about their fight against the wealthy as they are about their distance from the poor. So if you actually care about poor people, you're, you're not trying to save the middle class or assimilate into middle-class existence as is because middle class is defined by their distance from us. I'm just saying, Ture was right. Ture was right. I've changed kind of my thinking about this over the course of years because of the influence of good thinkers like Ture, not John Lewis. He'll just keep you confused. But Kwame Ture, Stokely Carmichael, like, yes, he was right. He was right. All right, so Selma's a dump. We don't talk about the whole story about Selma being a dump right now. And I can say this because I, I'm fully confident that anybody who's watching this who's been to Selma 
is not going to say like you leave Selma alone. No, they're going to say like, yeah, Selma's awful. You know who else is? What else is awful? You haven't been to Gary, Indiana. It's not exactly the happiest place on earth. I don't know what story you want to tell yourself. I used to think that Gary was the most depressing place, but then I drove through some of these uh, rural towns in the South, and it's just not a pretty place because Capital Flight is real, Capital Flight is white, and it's just a bunch of degraded um, people who've been made degraded in houses falling down around them because deferred maintenance costs money. And there's even a hookworm epidemic in, in, in Alabama and some parts of Georgia because... Uh, to fix a septic system it costs thousands of dollars and so when your septic system broke breaks and you have an absentee landlord you literally end up walking around in your own feces and so there's a hookworm epidemic in alabama because black life is not secured economically and no amount we can't vote ourselves out of this with just voting democrats or just voting in general no we need policies we need a federal job guarantee because the private market has always uh has never absorbed stigmatized communities at fair wages and working conditions. So you need a federal job guarantee if you're serious about de democratizing power and democratizing freedom. And this, this federal job guarantee has to be doing like public works, fixing you know the city, making it livable and clean water and all of that, and you know getting class sizes down and making sure old people get their medicines and wellness checks. And like I guess I've said before, if it were up to me, everyone over the age of 65 would get a knock on their door with a videographer, a sound guy, and someone else, and an interviewer to um, to have like two hours of their story. They would, this videographer would come twice, once one week, then the next time the next week, and get two hours of their story, and it would just be like you turn on the camera and you just let this 70-year-old person talk. That's what you get for turning 70 in America. You get two hours, and then that video is placed in the Library of Congress. So we have like a record, a cultural record of everyone's life from their own mouth as a cultural artifact and you put it in a searchable database and it would just be two hours. You turn on the camera, tell me about the seventies. All right. Tell me about the eighties. All right. Tell me about the nineties. The you know, you get 20 minutes a decade and you just have that as a cultural archive. Do you know what that would do for like the quality of our culture? Just to have that as an archive in the library of Congress. But you know, people say, what would you do with a federal job guarantee? That would be one job. That would be one job. So everybody in Selma would be able, if you make it to 65, a lot of black men aren't, would be able to, maybe a black man, we have to do this at 50. But um, you would be able to tell your side of the story. And that would be the cultural archive of the nation. Because as it stands, the people who do get to tell their side of the story, they might not always have our interests in mind. It might be Bill Clinton. Um, and you could say, well, Bill Clinton isn't an, uh, isn't an expert on the civil rights movement but he was an expert on how john lewis is a useful negro he was an expert on bill clinton and how bill clinton used john lewis just like do you want to know what joe biden is going to say at jim clyburn's uh funeral i suspect it's going to be some version of he gave me the entire democratic nomination for free he was a great man that's going to be Joe Biden at, at Jim Clyburn's um, funeral. Jim Clyburn's 80 years old. I don't know how long he's got, but I don't know. That was that, That's going to be that man's legacy. Say what you want, but these managers have done their job, and white corporate Democrats know what it is. And anyone who's trying to tell you that the vote is, and I 
I put Stacey Abrams in this in this uh, in this number. Anyone who's trying to tell you that the struggle is about voting, fundamentally fundamentally misunderstands how to defeat white supremacy and, and isn't serious about it. They're just looking for a come up, right? Because voting, you, there's no sneak attack against white supremacy. There's no like, well, now that I got in power through the vote, I finally figured out a way to to uh, to. Um, to, to go at white supremacy. No, you get the vote, but then what happens is like the culture hasn't changed. So you pass policies that nobody's going to enforce. Right? So there needs to be a multi pronged strategy. I think you need revolutionary uh, uh, liberation theology in churches. I think we need to, you know, we got We need a Moynihan report on the white family because it, ca- it, it doesn't do good for people, right? Like the white family is a problem. It, it reproduces all sorts of, of, of dangerous elements in American society. So we need liberation theology in churches. We need a report on the white family to maybe kind of tear it apart and put it back together. It's not like I'm going to take away white families. It's just not going to look like what they've previously looked like um, because what they've looked like has been rooted in black degradation. And then we also need, you know, of the, the schools, right? So we need... Uh, the cultural intervention that would include changing the curriculum to tell the truth about Stokely Carmichael because we're not telling the truth about Selma. We need to tell the truth about Selma. We need to tell the truth about Stokely Carmichael slash Kwame Ture. We need to tell the truth about the usefulness of John Lewis. And we need to tell the truth about all of these other people who are trying to or aspiring to be useful in the same way. Or we'll have this keep, keep having this conversation in 30 years, right? So the real fight is going to be economic security. And uh, economic security is going to come through a federal job guarantee. It's also going to come through reparations, because if you do the federal job guarantee without reparations, there's no reason to believe that um, there's no reason to believe that the job guarantee will actually uh, be good jobs. Right? So you need reparations as a form of earnest money. Reparations tells black people that we're serious, because right now, any deal we get from the United States government makes about as much sense as the Native Americans taking a deal from the United States government. It's good for as long as it doesn't make white people uncomfortable, which means it's not good at all for if you care about your own justice. So you need reparations as a form of earnest money to show the seriousness of white, um, of, of any, go- any promises by this government. I did a video on this. You can just search reparations, earnest money in YouTube, you'll hear the whole argument. But you also need a federal job guarantee so that going forward, the economic precarity is secured against. And that way, if the money is more than just bare minimum, if they have disposable income that's diffuse in the community, you don't need leaders because you have a strong people who can come together and have their own institutions. So I hope this has been useful. I hope you are, con- are not confused about how John Lewis and Selma, honestly, is being used for your own degradation because we're not telling the truth about either of them. We're not telling the truth about John Lewis's dirty race with Julian Bond. We're not telling the truth about um, how John Lewis was used against Jesse Jackson. We're not telling the truth about how John Lewis was used against Stokely Carmichael. And we might not even be telling the truth about how he liked it. Because in exchange for being used, he got to be honored by a certain group of Democrats who really don't care if we live or die. John Lewis is the black conscience of 
the worst white Democrats. And that's how it went down. And, you know, what's a shame about this is his seat in the 5th District is... Um, is one of the blackest is one of the safest democratic districts in the nation, right? So it went eighty five percent to Hillary Clinton and it went eighty seven percent to uh Stacey Abrams. Which means that you could run as like Malcolm X and if you have a D at the end of your name, you're gonna get that seat. And so a district that is that democratic should really be it should be like this. Like it should be someone left. Should be someone left of King in my estimation. But the Democratic Party is going to try to anoint like a hack whose um, probably biggest concern is voting. Voting. I want you to vote for me because I want you to be able to vote. That's, that's, that's a hollow, abstract notion of what freedom looks like in the United States. Right? Like, you could take away Jeff Bezos' voting right, and I think he'll be cool with it. All right, so I don't get the vote. So I get to keep my trillions? Fine. <laughs> like Rush Limbaugh doesn't need to vote. He's, he's got a radio station that's syndicated as opposed to what I'm doing. I will trade away my vote if you give me a syndicated radio station. You can just have my vote. I don't need to vote for the rest of my life. Give me a syndicated radio station because that's where real power is, right? So give me a, yeah. Um, so strength through merely voting is naive, right? If we and if we're gonna vote, Georgia isn't a a, a, a purple state or want to be blue state. It's not. Anyone who tells you that is trying to steal something from you. It's a red state because the electorate's conservative, because they've been well and strategically groomed to be. So it's a red state, and we need to admit that. And to break that up, you need, we need other cultural interventions. And if it's going to be a blue state, do you really want to be a blue state like Virginia or Louisiana? How are black people doing in Virginia or Louisiana? Or do you want it to be a blue state like California? How are black people doing in California? Do you want to be a blue state like, uh, you want it to be blue like, like San Francisco? Is that going to be good for black people? No. 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 Black people in any of those places I've named, black people are not doing particularly well as a whole people. There are some black persons who are doing well, but I bet you those black persons who are doing well live around white people. Um, so, if you care about black community success, you have to be honest about the failures of the civil rights movement and how uh, you know our leaders are being used to distract and confuse the fight. I'll say this before and I'll say it again. If you're an elected leader or even a non-elected leader, you have two roles. You can either push policy or you can either push policy or you can uh, clarify the fight. John Lewis wasn't in a position to push policy and he confused the fight. So I think that guy is a failure as a black leader. And <laughs> unfortunate. Um, I mean, this is the guy who... Uh, took time to dis Bernie was running on a federal job guarantee so you know there was that but Lewis took him out so uh, this is in 2016 Lewis opened his yap about that so that's my thoughts uh, don't be that kind of useful Negro please that's not being strategic it's not the, some people tell the story though you know John Lewis was playing chess while Bill Clinton was playing checkers no no no, 
Bill Clinton knew exactly what he was doing. Whether John Lewis also knew, I don't know, but um, I'm not trying to be that kind of useful Negro. All right, take care, and I will see you next week. Bye. If you appreciate the work I do every week and you think that I should continue to do it because I'm giving you the quality of political knowledge and insight that will help you not squander your life and kind of rescue meaning from it, then go ahead and go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in $5, $15, or $50 a month or make one enormous donation. I like the monthlies because it allows me to budget more and that'll help me, you know, with a marketing budget or getting better equipment that works all the time because a lot of, in a lot of ways, freedom means having equipment that works every time you turn it on <laughs> and I want to be a free Negro. So, um, if you like what I do, go to funkyacademic.com and contribute. Thanks often comes in the form of cash and the site takes 